If you would, uh, go ahead and turn in your Bible to the book of Proverbs. We'll be looking at chapter 12, verse 27. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 27. Just read the verse quickly here. A lazy man does not roast his prey, but the precious possession of a man is diligence. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, uh, we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for your mercies that are new every morning, that you, your love every day for us is seen, your grace in our life. Lord, we thank you for that faithfulness. We depend on it, and Lord, we take it for granted. We, we acknowledge that. We just presume upon your grace and your mercy so often. Um, This has been a hard week for many in our congregation. And Lord, very difficult times. Uh, But Lord, you have shown yourself faithful. And we thank you for being that God uh, that is real, that uh, that is comforting to us, comforting to our hearts. And, and Lord, we, we never want to presume upon your grace. I pray, Lord, that you would bless our time together. Thank you for the privilege of being able to look at your word, glean some things that will sharpen our, our lives so that we can be godly in this present age. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the main principle of this little uh, proverb is kind of just a, a little obscure proverb that diligence is a precious commodity. It's a precious thing. What would you say that you have that you would say, well, that's precious to me? Think about that. What is precious to you? Or another way to put it, you may, what is my finest quality? I never heard of it like this, that diligence is a possession that we have, that the Lord kind of gifts us with. The diligent man is has this possession. Now, just the opposite, though, is the lazy man. And the lazy man is kind of the comic relief of the book of Proverbs. He's just one that you just have to laugh at every once in a while. And this lazy man finally stirred up enough uh, momentum to to go hunting. Now, this isn't recreational hunting. This is, uh, this is providing for his family necessary hunting. He musters up the adrenaline. He tracks down this, this animal, kills this prey. But he doesn't have enough drive to finish his job. He doesn't roast his prey. He doesn't get it to the oven. Now, we kind of understand that. Uh, men, if you hunt, you know, if you kill that deer... And it's not close to the road. That's where the work begins, right? you got to drag that thing out to some place where you can get it. You have to clean it, prepare it, carve it up. You have to find some way to store it. It's where the work begins. Or you, you can be like the old Indian word for lousy hunter is a vegetarian. Right? And this, this guy, he's just a... Forget it. It's not worth it. 
I've dragged that deer out. And even if you have just a, a little pheasant, it's worked to get that thing to the table. And the diligent person has the momentum to, to finish the job. The lazy man, he, he can't finish the job. He doesn't see it through. So ladies, just a very broad application to our young ladies that are looking for men. Make sure you look for men that have some drive about them, right? We understand that. But let me... Let me Take it in a little bit different direction. Now, this is a proverb. This is in the book of Proverbs, in the context of the Old Testament, in the context of Scripture. This is a word from God. And let me just say that diligence is a part of godliness. Now, that may shock us. We may not want to hear that, but it's part of being godly is diligent. And we've been looking at godliness. And we've been looking at the actions of godliness. Last week, we looked at... Uh, integrity, that it has to be complete, it has to be inside and out, it can't be fake, we have to see it, it has to be, it has somehow, we have to see it in the person, integrity, the whole person. Next, we have to see godliness through diligence, there has to be effort, there has to be work, there has to be action, seeing. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you see some scripture verses on the, the board. 1 Corinthians 13, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, that your labor is not in vain. We are to push, be diligent. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4 and 5, apply all diligence to your faith. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 14. Since you look for these things, that is the coming of Christ, you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him, when He comes, that is, in peace, spotless, and blameless. We are to be diligent to be found blameless. That's godly. It's part of godliness. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Be all the more diligent to make your calling certain. Make sure of your calling. Make sure of these things. And that takes diligence. Now, this is talking about spiritual diligence. And we'll look at that. But there's a daily diligence that we see in, in the word of, in, in the book of Proverbs. And it's more of a practical, day to day, physical diligence. But that's in the New Testament too. In fact, it's even connected with godliness. Paul said that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 10, if a man does not work, he does not what? Does not eat. There's gotta be some diligence to even our daily lives. 1 Timothy chapter 5, a man that does not provide for his own household is worse than an unbeliever. There's, there's diligence that is built in. So, let's apply this to young men. Be preparing now. Be preparing now for uh, providing for your family well. And it, and it takes some preparation. That's why we send you to school. You prepare these things. Christians are to be diligent in both physical in the both physical life and the spiritual life. There's diligence in both. We pursue finances to support our family. We also pursue godliness. Pursue those things. Diligence. Okay? And there's a number of questions that I want us to look at uh, concerning this idea of diligence. The first question is, how do we recognize laziness in ourselves? Okay? How do we recognize it? Because I can't observe your life, I can't follow you around, and I can't say, oh, you're being lazy, because almost, it's almost a moment-by-moment -moment basis, isn't it? I mean, we get so distracted so quickly, so easily. 
How do we identify it? There's a couple of passages of Scripture I want you to turn to. Chapter 24, there's pictures in mind that, that Solomon has that he gives to his son. And uh, these pictures kind of help us to define this, this um, lazy man, even ourselves. He says, I, possess, I, I pass by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man who lacks sense. So, so he's not only lazy, he's, just, he's not very smart, not very bright here. Verse 31, and behold, it was completely run down with thistles and its surface was covered with nettles and its walls were, were broken down. When I saw, I reflected upon it and I looked and received instructions. He says, I learned a few things. I saw these things. I can observe. This is, a, this is the place of a lazy man. He says, and then he, he learns a little slumber, a little, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will come as a robber. When you least expect it, poverty is going to come upon you unless you hedge for the future. Hedge for, against poverty and plan ahead. And this lazy person doesn't fulfill his responsibilities. He doesn't do what he is supposed to do. Doesn't prepare for the future. Doesn't think, I might get hungry someday. I might need uh, things someday. And so I better do things now. And he lets opportunities slip by. A little folding of the hands. And opportunities are gone. Now that picture should, should resonate in our mind. And so we check ourselves. Another passage is chapter 26, verse 13 through 16 says this, here's some principles, it's kind of Proverbs that are just kind of in a row that, that are concerning the sluggard. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a lion is in the open square. So, principle that right there, just ridiculous excuses. A lion, he's just trying to get out of work, okay? Think about the last time you made up an excuse. <laughs> Look, I can say that because I do it. We make up excuses, don't we? Verse 14. As the door turns on his hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. He turns in restlessness, but yet he's, he's content to stay lazy. Verse 15. The sluggard uh, buries his hand in the dish. He is weary of bringing it to his own mouth again. He can start something, gets himself to the table, but he doesn't finish anything. Another characteristic. Verse 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who has given, given a discreet answer. Some wise, godly men. Oh, no. no the, the sluggard, he knows. He's smarter than they. So you can see things. You can observe. Now, we have to be careful here. But you can observe some things about your own self and maybe even other people that, that we have to just say, look, we're being lazy. We're being lazy. And so what we see is that God Himself, God Himself sees this. And He has given us warnings really throughout Scripture, but particularly in the book of Proverbs, especially to young people, to not be lazy, to heads against the future, heads against poverty. And we have to be diligent. We have to be diligent. Um, now, let me uh, lay out some of these principles from the book of Proverbs that will, that will help us and guide us through this idea of laziness. And 
concerning laziness here. And there's five principles that I want to lay out here. And I want to move through these quickly and we'll make some application. Number one, God expects his children to work. Now, this is not just a proverb thing. This is throughout scripture. He expects his children to work. Look at Proverbs chapter 10, verse 3. It doesn't look like this in verse 3 at first. The Lord the Lord will not allow, this is Proverbs chapter 3, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 3, the Lord will not allow the righteous to go hungry, to be to hunger. Now, at first you think, oh, well, good. You know, man, I can take it easy. And we take the passages from the New Testament, our Father's going to take care of us, provide for us. So we kind of get the idea that we can just take it easy, not do anything. And But look at the next verse. The next uh, little section there, verse 3. But he will, he will reject the craving of the wicked. He, he doesn't, he, that's abhorrent to him, these cravings, these desires of the wicked. Verse 4. Poor is the hand, poor is he who works with a negligent hand. So he said, well, God's going to take care of the righteous. But he says, now, poor is the, is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent will make rich. Verse 5, he who who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in the harvest is a son who acts shamefully. And what you have here, and this is really interesting, because you have the the, uh, sovereign hand of God here, but you also see man's responsibility to work. And it's in perfect balance. God says, look, I'll provide for the righteous. I will help. But we have a responsibility to do what God has called us to do. And that is to work. Man has responsibility. Now, there's a principle there. Human responsibility cannot be avoided. You have to take responsibility for your own actions. And and it really cannot be avoided. I know we have going on today that everybody wants to, to feed the poor, so they don't have that responsibility to make everything equal, but that is not something you see in Scripture. Let me give you this little statement that came from R.C. Sproul. He said, God does not owe you a living. The world does not owe us a living. It doesn't owe us. God doesn't owe us anything. We have a responsibility, a personal responsibility to work. Now, you, you could be poor. You may work hard and, and still be poor. Jesus said the poor is always going to be with you. There, there's going to be poor. And we have to be very careful to not say that, that poverty is always a result of laziness. We have to be careful of that. We have to be very careful. Because there's some godly people who have just had some hard knocks in life. And it's not a result of laziness. But folks, we live in a land of opportunity. And if you are willing to work, there's no, poverty is no shame. There's no shame in poverty. But poverty due to laziness, especially in the land of opportunity, is wrong. It's wrong. We have a lot of immigrants coming into our country. And they're willing to work. They're willing to work hard. They know what hard work is. And people are flooding in. And many times I wonder about the Christians. Or do we, we really work? I like what Tim Challies had to say just this week. He wrote an article on things that Christians cannot do. We just can't do. And he says this. He says, Christians don't get to be unproductive. 
Laziness and lack of productivity are rare, rarely far from us. It means they're just they're right at hand all the time. Right? We can be lazy at, at any moment. It's hard to be active and easy to be distracted. There's always a reason to veer away from responsibility and toward entertainment. But Christians don't get to be lazy. They don't get to be unproductive. That's right. He is, he is right. Imagine you, you build a, a robot, you build something, and it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. God has made us to work. We are to, we are to work. And God warns us about not working in Scripture. And the principle here, there's a little, that the Lord, the Lord will provide, this little passage that we just read, the Lord will provide, but there's a fine line, folks, between trusting the Lord. You can say, oh, I'm just going to sit back and live by faith. There's a fine line between trusting the Lord and testing the Lord. And we have to be very careful that we're not presuming upon the Lord and testing the Lord. We are expected to work. We're expected to work. Why? Because poverty lurks. It's, it's always there. It's always there. God expects His children to work. Number two, both the sluggard and the diligent are governed by the same sowing-reaping principle. Both the sluggard and the diligent are governed by the same principle. It's one principle. Look at chapter 12, verse 24. The hand of the diligent will rule, but the lack or the slack hand will be put to forced labor. Now you have two characters here, two characteristics. You have the diligent and you have the slacker, if you will. The diligent, and you have two different futures. The diligent, their future is going to rule. The word rule there is to have dominion and rule over. It's just what you would think of. They have planned for the future, and they've thought through it. They've prepared. They're going into the future with confidence, and they're not going to be a victim. But the slacker, he's going into the future is, and the potential of his future is forced labor. He's not going to survive unless he's out there begging. Another passage, just quickly, chapter 20, verse 4, says the, the sluggard does not plow after the autumn. So the beggar, beggar during the harvest, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. Now, the idea here is and he's so soft, he doesn't want to get out in the cold and he's procrastinated, so he doesn't have anything. His garden didn't grow, and he goes out, and he has to beg. And that's the, that's the idea here. It costs us. It, he, he's learned his lesson at a high price, and he's learned it too late. Industriousness has its rewards, but laziness has its punishment. Now, same principle, same principle here. But uh, two different results. It's the sowing, reaping principle. And we see again, we see this playing out in our society. We have a lot of people today that want the privileges, that want the benefits of working, but not actually working. And we have to be careful, folks. We have to be careful to not put ourselves in that, in that category. Now again, these are just principles that we live by. Um... And the question we have to ask ourselves is, we have two options here. Are you going to rule in the future? Or are, you going to be, are you going to be in need? Uh, are you going to be a victim? Both the sluggard and the diligent are governed by the same principle. It's just sowing today and reaping tomorrow. Number three, our desires are <clears throat> designed to bring us 
diligent, bring us to diligent, to diligence. Chapter 13, go back to chapter 13, verse 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligence will be fat. Now, that's a, a wonderful principle here. Now, the, the word desires there, he desires, he, he, he longs for, he wishes for, that's the idea. He wants something really badly, and we all want something. We all want, and the Lord has given us that privilege of being able to, to think, man, I, I want that home. I want to be settled. I, I want that uh, life of stability and security for my family. I, I want that. So we have the ability, the imagination uh, to be able to do that. But we have to put that desire there into practice. Look at chapter 16 and verse 26. Because this is, I remember reading this as a young man and being struck by this. Chapter 20, 16 verse 26, he says, a, a worker's appetite works for him. You get hungry enough and you're going to work, right? He goes on to say, for his hunger urges him on. He, he, you get hungry enough. You have that desire strong enough and you're going to push for that. That's a God-given ability. That's a God-given thing. It's a good thing. Now, can it be abused? Absolutely. So we have to be careful with that. We um, have this idea and we mistake this idea that lazy people don't have desires. It's just that their desires eat them up and cause friction and frustration in their life. And it usually produces jealousy. And we have to be very careful about that. Because we see those things and instead of working for those things, we just sit back. And don't, don't work for those things. What do we have to do? God has given us the ability to desire and even to imagine but we have to think through, we have to plan, we have to learn, we have to work. We actually have to plow, we have to cultivate that ground, put the seed in, we have to watch it grow. And then we will be in a position of either helping or in a position of in need. So we have to be careful. Our desires are to drive us toward diligence. Number four, to leave work undone or poorly done is destructive, not productive. Chapter 18, verse 9. Chapter 18, verse 9. says this, He who is slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. Now that's pretty strong. The word brother there can be kin. It's just your kin, folks. You're, uh, you're, you're kin to someone who destroys. The word slack there is just you're being lazy, you're being lax, there's no zeal, and it's more of an attitude than anything else, an attitude in your job. And it produces corruption or, or ruin or destruction there. And, and he's saying essentially that the neglectful hand, he's not blameless. He is guilty. He is guilty. Uh, to leave a work half done or... Poorly done is to is the brother of to destroy it. It's not just wasting time, but it's actually it's counterproductive. It's destroying. Now we can see this. We understand this. You uh, you uh, you know work in the mines. If you work with a slack hand, if you're not careful, you're going to jeopardize the lives of other people. If you work in this food industry, you could spread germs into a 
a society. If you work in, if you're building a car, you can build a lemon. There's lemon laws. Why? Because there's certain cars that are just, you know, produced by people that were slack. And we understand that. Now, what are, what are we supposed to do? Well, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. What do we do? And you know this. Work as unto the Lord. Whatever you do, we work as unto the Lord, right? We understand that. So, to leave work undone or poorly done is destructive, not productive. Number five, the habits of both the lazy and the diligent serve to serve them well. Chapter 19, verse 15. Look at this one. Laziness casts into a deep sleep and an idle man will suffer hunger. Now, this is a really interesting verse because you have this deep sleep. It means a, a trance. Uh, um, yeah, you're slipping into a trance and you you're fall into this trance by accident. You're cast into it by, by your own laziness. And it's a downward spiral and it becomes habit. You do these habits and it just keeps going down from there. Lazy habits produce laziness. The lazy person is always tired and it starts from there and he just goes and spirals out of control. Laziness is, is like a cancer inside and, and out. It's a cancer that spreads like a fungus. And, and it just takes over. It starts in our thinking. It goes to our actions. And we develop habits from this lazy mindset. Chapter 22. I love this, this verse. Do you see a man? Chapter 22, verse 29. Do you see a man skilled in his own work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Folks, that's the work of the believer. Productive. Who has godly habits, good habits. That's habits that build up, not habits that destroy. Now, I think you're beginning to see the picture here. The habits of both the lazy and the diligent serve them well. Now, let's just apply this real quick. Because we've been primarily talking about physical work. We've been primarily talking about just the physical world, right? And we live in that world. And I, and I look at you, you all and I think, you know what? They're pretty productive people. I don't, I don't see a bunch of sloths out there, right? But what about spiritual lives? What about spiritual laziness? Do we have that same hedge against spiritual laziness that we do against poverty in the future? What are we doing now that will make sure that I'm not going to be begging in the future spiritually? That I will just be so dried up and so weak and so impoverished spiritually? What am I doing? And we need to think about that. That is just as much of a reality. Spiritual poverty. You just said, you know, kind of start. You, you've lost your first love, right? So, let me, just a couple of questions. How do we muster up the enthusiasm for godliness? There's a couple, there's a warning here first. Uh, we have to be warned of false enthusiasm, right? There, there is this shallow enthusiasm. We see it in Matthew chapter 13, when Christ is talking about the sower and the, the seed. He sows the seed and it springs up just right away. There's an instant response and then it kind of just dies out because there's nothing really there. Anyone can start something. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't take any great feat to, uh, 
to muster up enthusiasm for one project or even just to start the one project and never finish through that project. But eventually we run out of energy, right? So what we want spiritual uh, in the spiritual life is sustained long-term energy. Where does that come from? Where does it come from? We get down and we need that energy. So the next question is, what energizes godliness? What energizes godliness? Is it just our own desires? Well, listen, folks. If you don't have a desire for godliness, you need to be examining your own heart, right? There should be a desire for godliness. But that's not all that sustains us. That's not all that keeps us hot and fervent for the Lord and fresh before the Lord. Let me give you three things just quickly. And you can see them on the screen. <clears throat> Number one is theology. Theology, folks. A right perspective of God. Knowing God. When we know God, we know His love. We know His grace. We see this on a daily basis. Our theology informs us. And we begin to fear God. And fear our Creator. And realize that He is our Master. Then we live in an appreciation. That He doesn't kill us on the spot. We live in thankfulness on a daily basis for what He provides for us. And there's an enthusiasm that comes from that. There's a drive that comes from that. Let me give you another another one here. Just God's grace, folks. God's grace sustains us. And I, I love this. It's, it's not my own self-effort. Paul pleaded to the Lord, Lord, take these things from me. He says... No, no, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. God is living and he is active in your life. We see that the unseen, the unseen hand of God sustaining us. And he does. It's just there. And you you read about these stories, these missionaries, or even in our own life. And you've experienced the Lord's hand of grace in your life. And folks, that is wonderful. That is wonderful. God's grace is sufficient. He has empowered us by the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit. I love the the song that we just uh, sang, the last one there. He says, Thine own dear presence to cheer unto God. God is with us. Okay? Folks, that should energize us. That should motivate us. Number three, the grace of God sustains us on a practical level. Sometimes we get weak. Sometimes the, sometimes the Lord's going to pull back grace. Why? Why would He ever do that? Because He wants us to seek after the means of grace. He wants us to take this extension cord, this spiritual extension cord, and plug it into the wall. Let me give you some of these means of grace. One is the Word of God. The Word of God is a means of grace that He has given us in our life to energize us. We read this Word, we saturate ourselves with this Word, and we, we have the strength then to go on. Number two is prayer. Whether you're praying by yourself or praying with others, folks, there's an energy that comes, a spiritual energy that comes from prayer. A sustaining long term. And that's the way we have to think, folks. We have to think long term. And prayer, another one. Is just church, coming to church, being with other people. I was, in Ephesians, we're to sing to one another. Man, it is exhilarating to sing. I love this. Especially those last two songs, they just build on each other. And it, it was just wonderful to sing together. There's something exhilarating, folks, about the spiritual life that, uh, that we gain from just being, just being together. 
we are to, in, in Hebrews, we're to stimulate one another to love and good, deed, good deeds, aren't we? So that's an energy. Another one. Have you, have you thought about this? Giving. Giving. That's a sustaining, that's a means of grace. We give to the Lord. There's an exhilarance there that we are, that's, our heart is where our treasure is. We give that treasure and we, we invest in this and our heart's going to be there. There's going to be an energy. There's going to be an, an interest there. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. Just being able to give. Being able to give. Let me give you one last one and that is just the longing for heaven. Just like we get hungry, folks, there should be in your life in my life, a hunger that drives us on. The hunger of the, uh, the hungry man that working that drives him. The hunger drives him. Listen, folks, we hunger and thirst for heaven. We're not there yet. That has to drive us. The Lord has given us night to be able to sleep. One day, He lets us rest. And, and the Lord has given us a day of rest. I believe Sunday, He has, he has allowed us this day to be able to just set apart and, and honor Him. In the Old Testament, we see that He has given them, them weeks of rest. Holidays, if you will. that They were to go out and the, the Feast of Booths, they were to go out and they were to camp. And they were just some, something different. To live out in these booths, they were to read the Word of God, just something different, uh, away from the, the daily routine. Those are times of celebration, times of rest, once a year. And I'm glad we have those. Those are important. Those are important. And we can overdo it. We can't overdo it. But folks, when it comes spiritually, when it comes spiritually, we need to hunger for heaven. We, we, we have those times of rest. We, we love our restful times. But folks, we're not there yet. We're not in heaven yet. And we, we need to let that drive us toward godliness. These things sustain us. Energy. Long term. Apostle Paul says, Always abounding in the work of the Lord. So we work. What is that work, just quickly? It works, first of all, in the heart, isn't it? I've get, got to get rid of the laziness in my own heart. And we have to work on that. My own mind. Do I let sin just reside in my mind or do I sweep that thing out? Do I get rid of it? My own heart and mind has to be worked on. And then just my actions. We have to be about our Father's business. That's what Christ said. It's about his father's business. And, and he was busy. Christ was busy. Did he have those times where he, where he got away with his disciples? And he said, yeah, guys, we need to rest. And there were those times. But man, most of the time he was hard at it. He was pushing. He was diligent. He was diligent. I think Tim Challies has it right. Laziness is not an option for the believer. And we have to examine our own self. Lord, don't allow us to become lazy. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the warnings that we see in Scripture. <clears throat> now, Lord, we, we understand physical laziness and it producing poverty. We, we could see that. Lord, help us. May it even be more graphic in our own mind of this spiritual impoverishedness that we see around us but Lord, help us to see that and then hedge against it. 
And Lord, may we be involved in things that will energize us, that will build us up, that will strengthen us, that will satisfy our hunger and move on into the future with confidence. And Lord, may we be active in each other's lives to produce just a, an energy and excitement to be together I thank you, Lord, for the time, just the precious time already this morning, just being together and how helpful that is, even just once a week. But, Lord, help us on a daily basis to be doing the things that hedge against spiritual poverty. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.